0: and welcome back to the Punk Rock Horror Podcast. I am the Undead Matt. And I'm Krampus Cody. And today, we are here to remind you, as always, that if you are walking through the bathroom and you see yourself in the mirror and then you see yourself start to attack yourself or... God forbid, slit your own throat in the mirror. We hate to tell you, but you're in the movie, The Mirrors. With that in mind, though, we are brought to you by SlashandCast.net. That is our current home Everything Horror, where you can check us out, along with our Patreon and merch link. Today is a special episode in itself. It is a very uh, prideful one, pun intended, today. But as well, we have a special guest joining us today. And without giving away too much of what we're talking about today, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce our special guest, Troy Anz from City Ghouls. Hey, Troy, how's it
1: going. Oh, doing great. Uh thanks for having me on your show. I'm stoked to hang out
0: and you know have some fun. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on here. Uh thank you again for coming on the show. Uh we're here to t- you're here to talk a little bit about your book today um and also join us with the main topic. But yeah, how uh, before we get into it, how have you been? How have things been?
1: Well, it's been really ups and downs, of course, you know, but, uh, you know, it, I've been on a, a really good creative path ever since I've uh, recently uh, released the book, as well as uh, collaborated with uh, Tom Bertal from uh, Five, Fe- Five Feet Under Studios, so we've been getting a lot of stuff done, he's now drumming for the Ghouls, and we've got a whole new kind of, you know, definitely a new beat, you know, to to us, and, and a new uh, energy, so we're we're really excited, got a new single out, so... We're
0: just pumped, man. We're doing pretty good, I gotta say, all things considering. Well, we're excited to have mm-hmm. you on and, and we uh, we thank you for choosing the show to come on to talk about your book. It makes us feel special, it makes us feel like we're still cool somehow.
1: <laughs> well I'm actually I bet I'm actually a fan of the show. Like I have I have seen I have uh, heard a couple episodes and I mean I I've tuned in before and just you seen you guys on Instagram, so it's oh, definitely really? kind of been on my radar for sure. So and I mean I you guys you. are up in Denver, right? Uh yes, but currently we're recording in Fort Collins. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, I've always been a fan. I've been a fan of like that area and stuff too. So, you know, I just, you know, I just definitely it was on my, uh, my, uh, you know, my my press run for sure. I want to get 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 on here and get and hang out with you guys. So, talk some <laughs> horror stuff. So,
0: be careful. You might inflate our heads a little too big. I might not be able to walk home.
1: <laughs> oh well, no, no, take it easy there. No, it's good. No, you guys got to give yourself some credit. It's a cool show. I'm stoked to be on. So, thanks for having me. Of Thanks, course.
0: Man. Well, again, thank you for joining. So let's go ahead and just jump into it today. So you're here to talk about your latest book, or, well, your book, uh, The Rand City Ghouls, a rock and roll short story. The description for it is it's an autobi- autobiographical tale of a punk rock bar band from the west coast of Canada. The story follows the booze, booze field adventures of Troy Ounce and what leads to the beginning of and almost end of The Rand City Ghouls. So... very interesting that uh, you know because norm and the reason i say it's interesting in this regard is that normally when we bring on bands they're usually talking about an ep uh they're talking about like a small you know live shows that they're doing stuff like that we haven't really had one come on to talk about a book about the journey of the band so i just want to start it there what inspired this and what was the main motivation for getting this book made
1: well, it was just honestly just the, the life we were living. Like, I I moved down to the beach in uh, White Rock, BC. Oh, I'm sorry, just the pronunciation. It's Rain City Ghouls. Too. Rain City Ghouls. Yeah. It's, uh, hey, it's, it no, thank comes you for from, correcting me. I'm sorry for yeah, messing it, it, it up. It, I no, no, no worries at all. It's just there's a lot of rain where we are. So, you know, a lot of people call it Rain City. There's a lot of people that use the term Rain City, and it's just. You know, we want to just represent where we're where we're from. But anyways, it all when when I moved down to the beach, it's kind of like how the book is. And and without giving too much away to the book, it's just kind of a, a tale of from from moving down there. I met these guys just out uh, rocking and rolling at a bar, and you know we created this bar band where we were playing like two three times a week for like a solid probably three three or so years. But it, it's really off and on, and there's a lot of like you know just like anything ups and downs and. Um, the reason I want to do a book is just because uh, Brad and Sean, uh, the original Rain City Ghouls members, um, who are still a-, a part of the band, it's just they're so busy with their day jobs and, like, they actually have, like, really, really good careers, so it's kind of just whenever they want get, to get together and make things happen, like, we make it happen, so it's uh it's really a, a different kind of situation in that sense of of the typical band uh scenario but uh yeah it was just it, it, the reason i wanted to do the book it was just some really fun times i felt you know maybe you, you know a song it, you can't get the whole story in a song as much as you know you could put a story in a song it's just you know it just felt right and with all the time through the pandemic I was like you know i'm just going to i'm going to knock this out cuz i mean i had a typewriter i had gotten uh that finally worked after, like, buying three typewriters, so.
2: Hell yeah. I just finally got, <laughs> I got this tight. thing, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because the ribbons are always breaking in these damn things, right? So, uh-huh. I finally got one that was working, and, you know, tell you the truth, I was just kind of, you know, I was going through a really rough time. I was, uh, you know, just doing a, just maybe drinking a bit too much, and it was, you know, definitely, I'm very inspired by Huntress Thompson, like all writers are and stuff, and I just felt like getting into just a real funk and, and, uh, you know, getting reliving those times as, you know, I miss live music so much, and thinking back of those years of playing, you know, and, and you know, I can't wait to get back, and it seems like things are happening now, which is really good, but, mm. uh, you know, a few months ago when I was writing the book, probably six months or so, I I just, you know, I was just channeling all those, those times of, you know, living on the beach, walking down to West Beach, and you know just just all the fun times you know it was our bar and you know it's it, it was a real blessing to have a place and to tell you the truth a lot of the nights we just you know some nights we just they didn't want to hear punk rock there but you know <laughs> god bless them there was like,
2: <laughs> like, there was mean, like guys. yeah there was like 12 <laughs>
1: people there or like 14 people that just loved us and you know luckily four of the 12 people ran the bar so we're like playing this punk thing and you know there's nights where i'm rolling around on stage and shit at like six six o'clock people are having their dinner and shit but that's (laughs) how cool white rock is The, the the west beach it's it's a legendary bar honestly if you guys are ever in uh white rock bc you gotta check it out you know they have live music like five six nights a week and obviously it's not like how it was during that period from 2015 to 2018, but uh, during those three years, I'm telling you, it was definitely just stuff that is made for a movie, so I figured I'd put it in a book. So, For sure. You know, yeah, but it, it, it is a short story though, and I feel like it's kind of the way I've done it. It's like a punk song, you know, and I mean, I, I don't really usually have the time in, to read like a real long, long book as much as I'd like to, you know. I usually mm-hmm. just get into a an audio format or something, but Uh, I I decided to just to knock out a little short story and I the great thing about it is it's given the ability to you know because the Rain City Ghouls now that we got a new life to our band you know there's no telling where we're going to go from here as well so Uh, you know Mm -hmm. there might be another book down the pipes but you know for now it's definitely things have chilled out a a hell of a lot since those uh, three years for sure so but it's nice to have that at least so so that's basically the story of that.
0: You're totally. very, you're a very passionate person, Troy. I, I think being Cody can can just hear that and see that that you're a very passionate (laughs) person you have a very creative mind and and you show that with the way that you talk about your book and what you've been through um so we obviously have a few a few questions about it but i I like how you did like compare it to like yeah i just wanted to make a book like it was a punk song and you know it's a short book and it made me think about it and i'm like you know most great punk songs are short in themselves so it all works out really (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs)
1: <laughs> but 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 hey just just to like just not to like undersell the book it's like there's a, a ton of great photos in it as well so it's like it's totally worth the buy like there's really oh, some yeah. rare photos and stuff in there so it's it's it, it's yeah 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 it, it, i'm very proud of it for sure and i'm I'm stoked to, to be on here talking about it so I, i'm happy to answer any questions you have I'd, i'll definitely get you guys free copies for sure so
2: <laughs> yeah for sure dude i want to read the, i'm down to read your book man like that sounds fucking exciting <laughs> Although <laughs> I, I warn you-, like, you should be su- you should be super proud of your book man hell yeah well,
1: well i <laughs> I got to say, I'm kind of broke, so they will be in PDF formats for now, but, you know, when when hopefully things come up, I will definitely, you know, send you guys a copy for sure. It's just, it's funny enough, I can't even afford a copy of my own book right now. (laughs) It's pretty funny, but it's just the way things are, man. COVID really did a dent just on, like, most people and, like, being a musician and stuff, so, but... But, yeah, no, I appreciate the support. So, But, I mean, I'm going to shut up. I talk way too much, man. No, I, that's that God, you, God, you man,
2: were – This is all about you, man. If you want yeah. to ramble about your book, we're like, go have at it. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. Yeah, and, love, and, and... love seeing
2: the passion. Love hearing it, hearing it man.
0: <laughs> one thing and I do just want to say before we go on, I do want to apologize one more time for messing up the name and saying City and not Rain City. I don't know why, but not, I did not – Not a problem, man. I, I no did not – like CDI, not gonna lie and I, I do it makes way more sense yeah yeah
1: the more you get to know me like i'm not a stickler at all like i was the, like there's literally there's like a photo of me laying on stage reading lyrics off my phone at one point in that in the book there so it's like i like i'm known for just being outside like coloring outside the lines as much as possible so don't you know i'm not by the book so don't even worry about it man yeah. I think I think it's good, and it gave me because who knows there might be a lot of people out there pronouncing it wrong. You never know, right? So <laughs> it's good; it's a great opportunity. So, <laughs>
0: um, well, just so you know, so we we already purchased two copies of your book because we want to support you and we want to support oh, what you're sick. doing. Oh, um, sick! So, it nice. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, we we can't wait for them to come in, but um, just want to let you know that. But so coming back to it, so it, it obviously sounds like that. Uh, Rain City Ghouls, the book. Um, God, there's a lot of person. I had, I had to stop to make sure I pronounced it correctly. It was like, don't fuck up again. Um, you no, know, uh, so. Obviously, a lot of this comes from like vulnerable places with being on tour. Um, You already kind of touched on it with the fact that you did drink a lot, you know, during those times when you were on tour. Um, Was it hard to touch on these themes for you, for yourself, to be this vulnerable, or did you have like an an easy, like natural approach to it when writing this and putting it in a book? What was it like?
1: Well, you know, something about me is that I've always been so transparent with my folks, and I think like that's like the number one thing that most that holds people back from like talking about maybe things that have happened like that are gnarly. And when I was really young, I went on the road with um Vision Streetwear when I was like 12 years old as a skater. So, mm-hmm. um coming back from that tour and just kind of like I just felt like some, some young warrior that had been sent off and like came back from the wilderness kind of thing, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and, and it's kind of weird ever since that moment, it was like, I, I felt like kind of an old soul, you know, I've definitely still, you know, lots of idiotic and growing pains and all kinds of things. But, uh, you know, after, you know, like around 13, 14, like my parents and, we, we just had this gnarly bond of like, you know, it was like, okay, like they knew, but I was just going to do something different, what it was going to be. And, you know, as things got older, you know, as I got older, it was just kind of like it was, you know, I just was a, you know, I'm I, a party animal, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, you just, fortunately enough, my folks were really chill. And, uh, you know, just as I got older, especially when I was on my own and just, you know, living on my own and stuff, it's just you know, I, I'd have beers with them or whatever and just tell them what's going on and, you know, there's there is definitely a hard part about it, even talking about it, but it's like, mm-hmm. at the same time, they know that it's like, it's part of, like, you, you gotta, you know, you can't you can't please everybody when you're, you know, if you're doing, if you're going to be an artist and you're going to do, mm-hmm. like, you be a musician or whatever, you know, so I just felt yeah. like they're they're not going to hold it against me and I just, I'm just going to tell it how it is and I got to say, though, I did hold a lot of stuff back in the book. It's just, you know, I didn't want to be distasteful and be an over thing. It's like I feel like there's just enough of, of all those kinds of things, but it's not like, you know, full, you know, Motley Crue kind of style shit, you know, like we're definitely not Motley Crue, but <laughs> right. you know, but we are the Rain City Ghouls, and, you know, we're definitely a fun bar band, and, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's just only when I start talking about, like, drugs like cocaine and stuff, that's when it's. I feel bad, you know, but uh, you know, it's like they know me though. They know my evolution, you know. I just, you know, I've been clean from all those kind of drugs for like, you know, h- half a year now and I'm going strong and a solid oh, uh, direction of uh, positivity and uh, you know even health, you know. So it's like,
2: oh yeah,
1: you know, you got to go through how, a bit of that. And yeah. it's like, you, you know, I don't think you have to, but it's like if you're, I, I just it, long story short, I don't feel that bad about it. It's like I do, but I don't, you know. It's <laughs> it's my life, and you're gonna do it. Um, but you know, it is definitely uh, it's 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 not it's not my favorite thing to talk about. I'll just put it that way. You know, I'll I will talk about it, but I'll I'll shoot the shot. Yeah. Show. But, yeah. No, that's that's awesome to talk about it.
2: Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome, man. Like, I'm really—it's good to hear that you had a good support group with your your folks and everything. Like, that's fucking awesome, and like, and it's really good to hear. Like, six months strong, man. Keep it going. Hell yeah oh like, for you sure know, yeah you yeah have a lot, like for real like you have a lot to be proud of right now like that's a big stepping stone to be proud of and your fucking book is something to be proud of like fuck yo, yeah dude. thanks
1: man yo yeah you guys definitely are stoking me up but yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something it, it's, it's it's um it's hard to say and like it's not something that it'll be like forever it's gonna be it, you know you never know where you know what the circumstances are you know i'm still gonna get out and rock and roll, but I'm definitely mindful of my health these days. I mean, I am 30 years old now, which is, you know, it's, 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 I don't believe it, you know, but it's, <laughs> it, it's, just, it is what it is. Like, time's a cold-hearted bitch, and, you know, you gotta be, uh, you're
0: mindful of it and shit, so. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. they, they say that 30 is the new 20, supposedly.
1: So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, you know, I've said that even. I've said that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> like, like Matt just turned 30, and I'm about to turn uh, 30 this uh, this upcoming weekend on the 20th. 30-30? Oh, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cheers.
1: Well, yo, happy happy birthday and ha- happy birthday coming up, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Man. Cheers. Um,
0: <laughs> So first, yeah, I do want to add on to Cody and say, you know, congratulations on the amount of progress you put into sobriety. It is definitely a day at a time, and you're just bravo, man. Pat yourself on the back. You're doing great work. Well, thanks. You're making great progress.
1: I I mean, I am drinking beers right now, but it's just kind of like I'm not doing the hard shit anymore. You know, I mean, I've I've been doing, you know, I was doing some pretty hard fucking shit. and. still uh, though. And it, it, that that, stu- that stuff's all done for me I'm, it's like you know you, you get to a point where one day you, you just wake up after you've been awake for three days and say what the fuck have I been doing you know and then you <laughs> change you know everyone has a different kind of time where they change but it's like luckily for me I've had that time and then actually I met this chick that really did a, a lot for me too but it was like I was with her for a few months and you know I, I I keep telling my friends and everything it's like sometimes you gotta get everything you want to realize it's not what you want and that that moment for me has been such a blessing because now I've been so focused on just the band and making music and stuff so it's like it really is like I I know what I need to be doing but you know you never know what what might happen not happen someday you know I might you know have some fun some but it's like really I don't I don't plan on doing that but I appreciate the support I just don't want to Give the wrong impression on the show of, like, you <laughs> yeah, know, you're,
0: you're, you're some totally sober
1: kidding. guy that's you know i i i i have a good balance i would say i just i, I cut the hard shit just booze and herb is all i need that's the truth <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: good, well and the, and there's nothing even wrong with just keeping <laughs> it to that low scale and if anything that was our mistake for for assuming it was a sobriety uh 100 sobriety but uh more so <laughs> back to it is still like being able to come back from um Heavier substances to be in more control is yeah. still, you know, it still takes work. It still takes control. Oh, dude, control. totally. No, and no, that, I'm that proud is of it for thing. sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, you should be, and but that is one thing that, like, a lot of people who are either, you know, have never heard of the punk scene or have never been into it or barely put their foot into it don't realize that that is, can be kind of, you know, the darker side of the scene totally is, sure. it is those issues, you know, we, we've we seen it happen a lot to even hear a lot of local artists where they, you know, they just went to, they couldn't come back, you know, and it's it's sad, and, and I don't think it needs to, you know, need to be, like, celebritized or anything like that. No, but totally. But I do think it needs to be talked about every now and then because people should be aware, you know, you should be taking care of yourself. And I think in, back to what Cody said, you know, it's great that you have such a good support system. Um, I do want to bring it back to the book, but I wanted to see if you want to touch on anything else on that before we do bring it back.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Just before you bring it back, one thing I want to say is thanks for just reminding me that, like, yeah, it is, it is good to just to talk about it and say that, like, yeah, you can. Like, it it may seem like something that is impossible, maybe during those periods, but it's like you'd be surprised how it's like, you know, one foot in front of the next, and you know, and in a few few weeks time or so you'd be surprised of like how, how much you could change your life, you know? So I'm just going to say that, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, you can change your life, man. You could do it. I mean, I mean, you can, you can Absolutely. cut that shit out for sure.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Troy, I think one of, what's, and, and I do mean this in, in good taste, I think one of the most like intoxicating things about you is that you have a very just genuine way of who you are. You uh, you're, have a gentle heart and I think oh, that shows thanks, with how you carry yourself as well. So you're this very creative and passionate and gentle hearted per, uh, person. Do you feel that, uh, if you agree with that, do you feel that has kind of helped you with writing this book?
1: Well here's the thing is like I, you know we've all made mistakes you know I I definitely in, in my heart I am a gentle soul but it's like you know you should see me on a night maybe when I was had too much tequila or something you know it's just like there's always these, these mistakes and you know I, the thing about it is I always feel so bad if I ever do make a mistake and it's like um, I don't know. I, I just I don't want to try and make it sound like I'm some sort of saint here, but it's like you know I mm-hmm. I do I do you know I, I'm very you know empathetic in, and uh, you know but it's like you know I have definitely made mistakes at the same time you know I'm you know I just feel yeah. like that I just I don't, I, I'm not a perfect person definitely not a perfect you're, yeah person. You're,
2: very uh, like just, you're very humble
0: you're very humble
2: God always gotta learn from uh, learn from your mistakes like we're we're all human we're gonna stumble. Yeah and it's like yeah remember that remember that and just like it's and remember that it's okay just pick yourself back up dust yourself off and keep
1: going exactly Well, that's what skateboarding taught me right so that's why Mm -hmm. it's like you could you know you could always you know no matter how like helpless it may seem like you can like dust yourself off and like try it again you know may just have to wait a bit like you know if maybe wait a year if you try the trick again or something you could always do it you know Mm -hmm. come back and could—it's really what you what you want to accomplish and stuff. And you know, it's like my whole thing is just trying to just be better than I was the day before. It's just I've heard mm-hmm. that a lot. And uh, you know, I, I shout out to uh, Brendan Novak. I followed his journey of sobriety, and uh, you know, I just I just pay attention to those guys. And and just you know, it's not just about sobriety. It's about just being a good person. And um, yeah, no, totally. So you mm-hmm. know, each each and every day, man. Each and every day, and still got a lot to learn. You know, still got tons yeah. to learn.
2: Yeah, we still got
1: a lot of life to go. <laughs> a lot of life to go, man. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I always thought 30 was like super, super like old, but now I'm like, I realized how like young you actually are. And it's like, well. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Even if I just live till 60, that's another 30 years. Like, who are I So yeah,
0: it, so it, yeah it, we got it,
1: a lot of st- stuff to be stoked for. It,
0: mm-hmm. It's kind of surreal. I, I'm just still glad that my ACLs are staying in place and, and not giving up on me, so I'm doing everything <laughs> I can to take care of them. <laughs>
1: are, are you a biker or something? Like, what do you what do you do? Or what do you are you are you like athletic?
0: I mean, athletic <laughs> is the next guy. <laughs> I, well, no, I should I should honestly be far more athletic than, than I currently am. I I used to be spending like two and a half hours in the gym three days a week, and then. That just changed one day, and now I'm lucky if I can even get like an hour into the gym to just to just Play. like do anything.
1: Well, dude, that's awesome. You're better. You're doing better than me. It sounds like when it comes to fitness.
0: Like I, it's the only reason I'm fit is that my apartment is on the third floor, so I have to you know put in steps every day. Oh come <laughs> every on! Day it's just like a... <laughs> time to get my workout in, it's and then I just climbing. get into my. Yeah, exactly. And then just get into my part and be like, oh, that was a a good run. Okay, that was good. That was a good set. I think I'm good for the night. Shower off and uh, let's get some protein in. Dude, you should start a hardcore band called Stair Climber. (laughs) 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 uh, We'll have like a 12 album released for all 12 steps. Each step is going to be its own story. The first step is the hardest one. It's going to be like more of a sad type of album. And then we I get love it. Middle, it's, yeah, it's going to have more attitude the more we go up. I, I love it. It writes itself.:
2: Yeah, but Dude, it, 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 it is writing like, itself. And to like coincide with just the annoyance of climbing stairs, each album is only one song.
1: <laughs> and he got a really small one like a 6 or 7 inch or whatever 7 inch <laughs>
2: record yeah. so it's just like ah jeez but they're the best songs ever about climbing stairs yo, <laughs> yo I'm in if you guys need any, any
0: riffs I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> this next one's called Carpet Ledge 1, 2, 1, 2, three, <laughs> <laughs> oh man now, just like thinking of like puns for stairs, and I was like gonna try to make one for like tax for like carpet tax. I'm just like, I was like, there's 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 gotta be like some Midwest dads that would love this. You know, I think it's, <laughs> it's, just, uh, yeah. it's a little bit yeah. too tactful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, bringing it back to Rain City (laughs) Ghouls, Troy. Even in the short amount of time that we've already had you on here, if like, and it feels like you've already like shared. I mean, you obviously have shared so much about what you've gone through in your life, but it it does feel like we were kind of sitting through with you as you you know reminisced and gone through it. Obviously, we weren't there when everything happened, but like, the reason I wanted to say this is that you have just this great knack at just putting the images in my head and Cody's head and explaining what you've been through and your And I think it all comes back to your passion and the creative way that you think and that how you show yourself and how you present yourself. Um, I, one thing I do want, one more thing I do want to ask about the book before uh, we ask where we, everybody can get their own copy um, is just what is one thing that you learned with this book in the process of making it that you're going to take as a lesson Going forward, whether it's with the band itself or with the possibility of a second book,
1: um, it, to, I don't. It, it's a that's a, for me. It's a hard question to answer because I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking two things. For one, it was there was the whole just making the book like the formatting and all that was just a complete pain for me. But like accomplishing that was something that like I was never really that skilled at. Uh, like stuff to do with like Microsoft Word or, or any kind of stuff like that in school so it's like that was a big accomplishment that I will definitely take forward but you know the one thing that I'll just take take forward is just a reminder to myself like reading the book about like really how much I've I've sacrificed and put into it and even though it's been like a year of like we've all been sitting around in covid it's like uh I don't know if it's something maybe, it's kind of, I guess, something I've learned, but it's just, I guess, I've just relearned and seen really just like how much this band means to me. It's like the most important thing in my life, you know, and, uh, you know, each, like, there's nothing that can stop, stop their in-city Ghouls, definitely, you know, so that was just a good thing to to just relearn, you know, just over the, this period that's been, You know, it's kind of even made me forget, you know, it's just like, frick, I miss playing shows so bad, you know, and just, just going in there and even just that, it it sounds so weird, but even just the smell of the venue, like just the smell of that shitty venue or whatever it is, you know, I miss that Mm. so much. And I can't wait to get back to it it, because, you know, thankfully enough, it seems like, you know, there is some light at the end of this tunnel and it seems like things are, are going on. It's just, I'm over here in Canada and it's, it's a whole different vibe, I guess, than, um, some of these areas that are o- opening back up, but um, we're getting there. We're getting there. You know,
0: mm-hmm. so. it, it is definitely still a weird, weird time. So we we yeah. you on that. Yeah, yeah it's
2: totally. like super surreal here with stuff opening up and stuff like that, and not have and not having to wear your mask if you're vaccinated and whatnot. <laughs> like, Yo, it's that's super so sick, weird. Though. It's Yo. super weird. Like I feel weird walking around without a mask. Cause I'm like, you know. Kind of well,
1: dude, one, but well, yeah. hey, that's so sick, because you must <laughs> have shows then, that means, right? You guys must be having shows. Yeah, yeah we're starting, we're starting to get now. more
0: shows coming and oh, get scheduled, yeah. So. That's
1: dope, honestly. I just, yeah, I hope that we're, like, it seems like it's coming that way soon for us here, too. Like, I mean, I'm seeing the promotions, so, so, yeah, you know, I think, I know it sucks. I, you know, everyone's kind of, it's controversial, but, I mean... I'm going to just, I'm going to just bite the bullet, go get my double shots just because I just want to get back and get rocking and rolling. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know, I, I have family that are against it and, and all kinds of things. I have family for it. For me, it's just, I'm so devoted. Like, I mean, dude, I got, I got like, I got rockstar tat on my chest, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> this is, I, I'm, I'm devoted as hell to this shit. I like, this is my life. And, you know, if, if, if I have to get jabbed a couple of times, to get back and rocking and rolling, like, I'm going to do it for sure. So.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. I mean, when it comes to dedication, especially within uh, this field of art, it, you know, getting two shots uh, when compared to everything else that you have to do to keep it going probably isn't as big of a undertaking as, you know, promoting a show, getting a show organized, getting a sales <laughs> organized. Totally. Um, <laughs> like, Dude, that's, uh, that's, that's the best tickets. point. That's
1: the best point I've heard yet. That's honestly the best point. It's like, do you know how much shit I've already gone through, sacrificed, like lived like a dog, like literally, like starved, like. It's mm-hmm. the funniest thing is 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 you know what I'm talking about if you're in a punk band or, or like a musician or an artist struggling. It's like the weirdest thing you'll ever see and it's like the weirdest thing to ever have a fridge full of food because usually your fridge is so goddamn empty. <laughs> it's like if you ever do have a fridge full of food when you do finally get, get some sort of maybe do like a, a, get somebody from a gig or however you do it. Fucking! It's the weirdest thing to see, and it's like that's that's the true. Like you get so used to starving, you get you used <laughs> to starving, and it almost keeps the shit going. And it's like, yeah, I'm just at a point now where it's like it. it I don't. It's like it, I don't even want to eat. I just want to just keep going. It's like <laughs> your, your oh. body just gets to a point where you're just like, fuck it, man. And it's like, oh, yeah. if, if you're going to those kind of lengths, it's like you say. Who cares? Jabs is like the least of the shit you've already gone through for fucking, you know, rocking and rollin', So
0: oh, Yeah, we've, we've all been through it in our own way. I mean, for me, totally. for, while, for me for a while there with going with the starving thing that you talked about for a long time there when I was younger, you know, I was eating out of trash cans just to get by here and there. So like Punk rock, I, man you know i'm at, i'm at the point right now wherever i go to any restaurant whether it's fast food high end or even just fucking your local coffee shop even if they mess up my order i never say a thing cuz i'm just happy to get anything Exactly. Like, and, and i'm all and i get it people are like well i paid good money L- yeah like if you're paying like 300 dollars for a meal sure whatever but if you're like paying like 5 bucks for, you know, a few cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Like <laughs> I'm just glad that there's something to eat, pure and simple. Something that I, you know, is technically fresh.
1: I love that. They, they always yeah. say that it makes you it, more appreciative and more, you know, more interesting. People have harder lives. It's like it's like a f- known fact. Like some of the greatest people, like they always like the more you struggle, the more you appreciate it. It makes you it hum- makes you more humble. So, dude, that's yeah. awesome. You that's perfect that you run the the punk podcast. You're a true
0: punker, man. That's rock and roll. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, we could probably just end the recording there. I think our egos are inflated <laughs> enough. <at this> point. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of course. So again, Troy, uh, thank you for being on the show today. It's been a blast having you. Um, Before before we move on, so right now the book Rain City Ghouls is available on Amazon for purchase. But where else can people go to get their own copy and support what you're doing?
1: Well, it is on Amazon, the paperback. But if you're just a little bit tight on cash, there is a PDF version available on. It's uh, called Ko-Fi, I think, or is it called Coffee? I don't know. It's K-O dash fi.com slash rain dragon records and you can find it there okay so, or or tiny slash uh rain city Ghoul's book and that will give you the pdf and it's it's 10 bucks for the pdf I, I i think it's 17.95 in the us and 20 dollars in canada so those I, I i they're around that price for okay. that so i appreciate any support and then we do got the new single
0: out on uh, rain dragon records as well so 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 with that in mind, uh, we'll have those links below as well for everyone to check out. May- Ghouls, gals, creeps, and Please make sure you get your own copy uh, before we do move on. Do you want to talk a little bit about the single?
1: Oh, I, 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 I basically said a bit about it. Um, yeah, we did it at Five Feet Under Studios. Uh, Tom Bertal's now drumming, and he does back background vocals on it. Although to be clear, is I did use some MIDI drums on that record, but I mean everything going forward now we're gonna have the full kit. Now that we're at five feet under. But there is cool. a drum playthrough. Tom does a wicked drum playthrough on YouTube. So that's on Rain Dragon Records YouTube channel. So that's that's nice. basically all the all the info for that.
0: And we'll make sure to have that band camp and links to the book in the episode notes below. Listeners, please check it out. Please get your own copy of Raid City Ghouls. We got two coming this Thursday we can't wait to dive into. Mm-hmm. And also make sure you check out the latest single as well. Um, with that in mind, though, Troy, do you want to play a horror game with us? Oh, I'd love to. It's time to play a horror game.
2: If you could direct... Any horror monster movie, what monster movie would it be? I love werewolves, and so I would actually want to do a mashup, uh, Benicio del Toro's Wolfman, okay. and that whole entire storyline of like it's actually a generational thing of wolf creatures, and then have that mixed in with an American werewolf in London. So it could be like like some kid descendant of all this generations of werewolves and he his, him and his family actually up and plucked that went to America and then his back and then went on a backpacking trip to London and instead of being attacked by the werewolf he just turns into one because he's back in his homeland and everything. And that's how it all – and then it goes from there about him learning about I'm the monster and stuff like that.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I'd watch that. I'd be game for that. Okay. I would change Chucky, you know. I would change uh, Uh – Chucky's a great horror film, but – what I would change about it is I'd just make that doll way bigger, you know. It's uh, okay. I I would, I would take Chucky and I'd figure out a way to like kind of blend it with some sort of uh, like a Night at the Museum kind of thing, and just make him like because just something about Chucky is as good as they play it off, you know. I always think to myself like I would just boot that doll, and go for <laughs> a field, I'd I kick a field goal with that thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So if If I could find a way maybe change Chucky a bit and and make it a bit uh a reasonable match, I would say like
2: sorry that'd be I kind of, like just when you said the night at the museum part, I'm like, holy shit, that'd be fucking cool. so like one of the the models at the museum is like the killer, and yeah. then he only kills that night at the museum, and it's like he that's it like he murders people who are in the museum and shit like that that'd be oh, that'd be cool.
1: Well, it could be. It's like that's one I just was thinking off the top of my head. There, it's the truth is, is that it's like a candy store. I'm thinking, I'm going through the line of all these of these awesome <laughs> films. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe make Frankenstein uh, be a skater that he like. He's like a skateboarding <laughs> Frankenstein. I don't know. Do like a, a call, whole sk- skater Frankenstein. He's undead
0: and unreal.
1: You could do like a psychobilly movie theme where it's like a skater Frankenstein. And like you can make a whole thing off that. I could be super sick. So yeah,
2: I don't I'd know, watch that's a cool shit out of that. Yeah. Like, I love, like I love Sharknado. Episode. And I would watch. so I would watch, oh, watch yeah. the shit out of that.
0: <laughs> I yeah. love the yeah. movies. So yeah, I uh, so for mine, I, I was thinking a lot about it and I might have gotten a little overboard, but I think I think I can get the funding for this movie, just of <laughs> how ridiculous of an idea it is. So if I could do any movie I would take amount of outer space, but <laughs> but I would mash it. I would bash it with the blob. And have them oh. meet in this universe to where the blob actually eats the killer clowns, and then manifests them, and then starts only wanting to eat clown-like people oh. and, and whatnot. So like, even at some point, there's gonna be a scene where like he eats Ronald McDonald, and he's like, he's about to like kill like the drive rate you know, the drive-through worker. He's just like, <laughs> bah, 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 bah,
2: bah, bah. Oh, dude. Okay, <laughs> so not yeah, that you know. sounds sick. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I was ha- I was like half expecting to go the to killer clowns from outer space versus Evil Dead. So having the Deadites. <laughs> fucking they, face
0: off they, against they, these clowns. <laughs> you
2: know? Well,
0: I love that, clowns. I love oh that, clowns. God, That'll be it. the sequel. That will be the sequel. <laughs> the first one's all about establishing. Like, There's going to be a scene where like after he eats the drive-thru worker and has like a few quarter pounders, it just like fucking then at that point just like creates jelly-like clown clones that like attack the town and like <laughs> so that way we still have some of the killer clown aspect of it as well and it's just like these jelly is clown looking monstrosities like I feel like I feel like at least Cronenberg's kid would want to make this movie I, I feel like he <laughs> would you know like <laughs> Yo, I, would I would I'd be into watching it for sure I mean and, <laughs> and also just like be a little bit of a sellout McDonald's could make, get product off this and just like have little like vials of like pink jelly for kids meals and be like make sure you come get the latest happy meal collect them all <laughs> <Like,
1: laughs> you Yo, I'd grab one. I'd start get. I'd see if I get a half of me. I'd just lie. I'd be like, Yo, I'm grabbing one for my kid. Don't even have a kid for, <laughs> for
0: all of my all, right. all ten of my kids. <laughs> all ten. <laughs> all just ten. Give
2: me them, okay, just give me them, Jesus.
0: <laughs> I know there's probably like a couple Catholic families out there. Are like, you know, we do have ten of us. We we could make that work.
1: Yeah. No shit. Totally. <laughs>
0: So yeah, that's that's my pick. That's what I would do. I would just go overboard and just take it in a completely different direction.
1: Yo, I I love it though. I, I got th- I I think you have the, the the fave of the three of us that I've heard so far. Of the, <laughs> the best idea. Yes. So, yeah, I love clowns. So that's I love that.
0: Right on. <laughs> so yeah so that's that's my pick uh that was their that was horror game listeners if you would direct any of your own horror movies uh that's come out in the past few years what would you do to to change them up would you take it on and change it or would you do friday the 13th what would you do to make friday the 13th different in your own way let us know reach out to us on twitter at official prhp or even make a post and tag us in it on instagram at punk rock podcast but to continue with what we're talking about today cody can you please introduce today's main topic we are going to be talking
2: about a very influential horror director mr james whale (laughs) this dude was awesome like okay what's really funny is like he didn't want to be known for horror and he's known for horror. <laughs> like, and, oh, yeah. I'll get into it. He was born on July 22nd, 1889 in Dudley, Worcestershire, England. He was the sixth of seven children to a blast furnaceman named William and a nurse named Sarah. James actually had to quit school in his early teen years so he could help keep their family afloat because they were a very, very, very poor family. But he wasn't really, like, big and strong. I mean, if you see pictures of him, he's a very slender man. Like, he's very, just, he's a small dude. Um, And so uh, he, instead of doing all the hard manual labor that the rest of his brothers were like, uh, he actually became a cobbler. So, that was kind of
1: cool. Yo, shout out to the cobblers, man.
2: Yeah. (laughs) This is also the time he started discovering his more artistic side. And so he started uh, actually making extra money on the side by uh, do, like making fancy signs and price tags and fancy letters on these things for, uh, for small businesses and whatnot. With the, all the little extra cash that he made, he was able to afford to go to the Dudley School of Arts and Crafts uh, at night. So he went to night school for arts and crafts and painting and stuff because that was his first love.
0: How oh, <laughs> fucking... How fucking awesome. It's just like, right? Like, he did it himself. Like, like, all the other kids are going to, like, I don't know, cause mischief and create havoc. And he's just like, nah, I am going to learn how to fucking quilt like no other. All <laughs> fuckers, I'm going to be jealous.
2: Well, I think it's funny because he's like, well, he's seeing his, like, you know, the rest of his siblings, like, being doing all this hard labor and shit. And he's like, I don't want to fucking do that. I'm going to go paint. Smart. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> like, um. Yo. He's cool. Yeah. He's a really cool dude. Like, you know,
1: he, he's artsy, you know. I, I don't blame him. Like, you start to see that. And a lot of these directors uh, have other loves. Like, you know, directing, it, it, it takes everything if you think about it. Like, you're blending the music in there. You're getting, like, the, the scene. Like, you're thinking of so many things in there. Like,
2: mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It, it is. And it's actually kind of funny. He actually. So he didn't fall. Uh, didn't actually start liking theater and whatnot until a very. <laughs> He found his love in a very, very strange place. So he found his love for theater. Um, so in August of 1914, World War One began. And even though he didn't care about the political side of the war, like like he just he didn't give a fuck. He didn't care about the war anyways. Like he's just like, I don't care. I want to paint. <laughs> like, That's rad. But he was smart enough to know that he just – he volunteered and enlisted in the military instead of just waiting for the draft. Like instead of being one of those people that are like, maybe I'll, I won't get drafted. He's just like, nah, fuck it. I'm just going to – I'm going to go do this. <laughs> I'm hopping in. Like let's just go do this. And he uh, he ended up – he was commissioned as a second lieutenant into the Worcestershire resi- – yeah, oh, I can't believe I said that. That's First, The Worcestershire Regiment in July 1916. And in August of 1917, he would actually become a POW in battle on the Western Front in Flanders and was held at Holzminden Officers Camp. And he uh, remained a POW until the end of the war. And he was repatriated to England in December of 1918. But during this time in the POW camp, he wasn't like... Getting tortured and shit and stuff like that. He actually was very actively involved in acting and writing and producing and set design in the amateur theater productions that took place in the camp. So he just, he helped them with their, he helped the enemy with their like theater productions and also like the other POWs with their theater productions because he's like, you guys ain't going to torture me. No, fuck you guys. Like, I'll, I'll direct.
0: How hey, fucking gee. wild is this? Okay. So, for, so so, he grows up in, you know, hardworking blue-collar family for the most part. Sees his, like, brothers, like, you know fucking doing just these hard jobs and he's just like, no, fuck that. Like it, he's essentially like at this point is like like Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle, where you know, the brothers are always getting like the short end and getting themselves in trouble where he's just like creative and you know, <laughs> and, and, you know blossoming in that fact. And then he sees that award like he's just like, no, nah, I'm gonna get ahead of this draft to just fucking enlist yeah, now. I, like, I know I, what's I'm gonna happen. It I'm not and, then, and then, <laughs> then it's it captured. <laughs> he gets captured and it's just like he's like look if you like you can mistreat me and everyone else here but don't mistreat your own theater department god's <laughs> sake
2: yeah that's awesome he's like i'll take i'll run it i'll just run it for you guys and they're like okay <laughs> and also during this time he actually learned to become a, a fantastic poker player and he raked out, like all the other like POWs and stuff like oh that. I love this guy, dude. Like, dude, he's like a fucking awesome. gangster. <laughs> dude, like he's fucking a thug <laughs> without being a thug. It's great. And so obviously, you know, you don't have money as POWs and stuff like that because you're a prisoner of war. So they all wrote him IOUs, and then when he <laughs> and then when they all got back like into civilian life, he cashed in on them. He was like, yo. <laughs> I want to go back to living a decent life. Where's my money, bitch? Where's my <laughs> money? <laughs> Yo, how did he collect on that? I just, he, you know, they all, like, wrote their names down and stuff like that, where they lived. They all lived in England and stuff because they are all British POWs. And so he would just look them up and just, like, go to they're like, Hey, remember that time we were in the war and I whipped your ass in poker? <laughs> Where's my $20 now, Steve? <laughs>
1: yo, yo, can I just say that shows how, like, honorable people were, like, back, like, the, the older you go back, like, you see how, like, like, because, like, they always say, like, a man just has his, like, a, a word is worth the most to a man or, you yeah, know, to and, anybody and is yeah. your a word.
2: A man's worth is his word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, and they were all like, yeah, fucking, all right, James, here's your <laughs> $20.
0: James, James is yeah. like, look, you could choose not to pay me. That's fine. I'm just going to sit outside your home, knit myself a blanket, a pillow. I can wait you out however long you want to wait, man. Like, we can play again if you'd like. I don't think you understand. I helped our enemies <laughs> build up their own <laughs> theater department. You really don't think I have patience? You don't think I have patience? <laughs> Yeah, I love that. No. <laughs> <It> just... <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, the man. more I learn, I'm, the more I like this guy, man. This guy's oh, awesome.
2: He's
0: great, man. He's I a kid, just a G for, like, fucking cleaning house, being a prisoner. Like, talk about, like, one of the most, like, depressing things to be in. Being a prisoner of war and just, like, still instead, hustling and cleaning house. <laughs> and <laughs> and he just makes the most of
2: like, it. Yep, he made the most of it. And then he's like, instead of going through torture, man, that sounds terrible. How about I, I direct your play? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, real,
0: so. that's some real big dick energy <laughs>
2: <laughs> Totally, totally. Dude, this guy he's awesome man he had he was a rebel and he was a fuck like he had charisma man up uh, like out the wazoo so uh returning to birmingham he actually he unsuccess- unsuccessfully tried to cash in on all his artistic stuff and become a cartoonist um he was only able to sell two tunes uh to the bystander in 1919 um, and after that, he was like, you know, I did pretty good at managing all that theater shit in the war. Why don't I try that? And so he would, he would uh, go on to pursue a uh, life in theater and work under actor manager Nigel Playfair. And, would be, and he would be an actor, designer, built set builder, stage manager, and a director. Like, James Whale did everything. And then in 1922, he would go on to meet Doris Zinkesen a little bit about her she was a scottish theatrical stage and costume designer painter commercial artist and writer who also worked under playfair and so she's important because even though at this time james was james whale was already a very openly gay man so like in the 20s like his whole entire life he was openly gay he did not hide it like but he wasn't also like he wasn't flagrant but he wasn't like Hiding it, he had he, was, he had no shame. During this time, many of them considered them a couple for about two years, and there was a rumor that they even got engaged in 1924, but separated in 1925. But like, I almost feel like that was just they worked together, and so they were. Uh, and if you have ever been in theater and you are working, a, like you you'll hang out with your your cohort. So it's like mm-hmm. it was probably something like that, I think. And like you know, the biases against. Yeah, like you community that I could just see him like, no, see, he's not gay. He's with her. And he's just like, I'm still gay. Still
0: (laughs) Still definitely gay. gay. Last I checked, very gay. (laughs) But
2: but yeah, so that's what I can't think about that. And then um, moving on in 1928, Whale took an awesome opportunity for him. He was offered to direct two private performances of R.C. Sheriff's Journey's End for the Incorporated Stage Society. The society is a theater society that hosts private Sunday performances. So they only do private shows. This was like his jumping off point. So A Journey's End is a play that is set in the trenches near St. Assen towards the end of World War I. Uh, The story plays out in the officer's dugout of a British Army infantry company from march 18, 1918 to march 24th uh 21st 1918 providing a glimpse of the officers lives in the last few days of, uh, before operation michael which was a failed german offensive to seize the channel porch which supplied the british expeditionary force we're going to be talking a lot about nazis too by the way <laughs> so the play was very well received and it later opened at the Savoy Theatre in London's West End, opening on January twenty first, nineteen twenty nine. That is huge. The Savoy Theatre is huge. Like it is one. It's like one of the biggest theaters in all of London. And so, another great thing about James Whale, which I also think is awesome and makes him a fucking rebel, is he loved to cast unknowns for his like main roles. So That's like fucking he, awesome. Yeah, he wouldn't like cast a Tom Cruise or any of them, like any of that shit. He's like, no, give me <laughs> stage actors and people who have never gotten their break, and I want to give them the shot. <laughs> he uh, would go on to offer one of his leading roles of Captain Stanhope to Lauren, Lawrence o- Oliver, who has very little notoriety, and once Oliver accepted the lead in. <laughs> But Oliver would go on to accept a lead in another play. And so James Whale would offer the co-starring role to a very young Colin Clive. He is another bisexual man. He's because he's been known to have longstanding relationships with both men and women. And he plays a big role in James Whale's life because he is a recurring actor in all of James Whale's future productions. And he was also a very close friend and he helped James Whale later on in his life when he really needs it. So he's a very cool dude. So the play was very, uh, was a hit, and, and after three successful weeks at the Savoy, The Journey's End went on to play for the next two years at the Prince of Wales Theatre, and then it was such a hit that it Broadway producer Gilbert Miller acquired the rights and mounted a production in New York with an all-British cast which I think is pretty fucking cool, even at that, at that time. And he even got James Whale to come over and direct. So this dude just went from hitting all the top theaters in London and fucking got his first trip to America within, with all of this, he goes to fucking Broadway. <laughs> like and they, It's so cool. And this play would go on to gain the reputation as the greatest play about World War I. All directed by mr james whale and thanks to this guy (laughs) dude that's huge yeah jesus i thought it was fucking tight and so with the success of all of his theater productions uh, uh uh with a journey's end whale became a very hot commodity for movie producers so like okay this dude knows how to like he is killing it on broadway he's killing it in the theater And so now they're trying to make the jump to movies. And at this time it was a lot, uh, there was most, it was all silent films. And this is the time that movies were starting to add dialogue. And so they needed really good directors. And so, in 1929, Whale got his first break, and he traveled to Hollywood and signed a contract with Paramount Pictures. He was the dialogue director for 1929's Love Doctor, and he finished his work in 15 days and let his contract expire and just said, fuck off to Paramount. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, he was just like, done, 15 days. (laughs) When
0: you can tell Paramount to fuck off, like, that's it. You're yeah. you're on top of the world. You're the best. You, you fucking won. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I love dude. this guy. This guy's no,
2: awesome. He's fucking great, and he gets better. Like he keeps going up. This guy just keeps like they. Sh- Basically, the second that he found his niche in theater, like, a rocket was just strapped to his back, and he just kept flying higher and higher and higher and just kept getting all these great deals. And, um, I mean, like, obviously to the point where he could tell Paramount after his first gig to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Basically, like, he probably did it really nicely, but he was just, huge I don't want to...
0: I don't know. Yeah. I like I like more so imagining <laughs> Jay Wills just like losing his shit on like an executive <laughs> prepare about like I am James motherfucking whale and you could take your deal, <laughs> shove it up your ass, tape your asshole shut and fucking jump off a cliff. Like, just <laughs> <laughs> <I love laughs> like, like that's that's how I want to picture it because he's just like he's what a badass dude. Seriously, just Yo, like they, Sorry to cut you off. Have they made a movie about this guy yet?
2: Yeah, actually uh they made a movie called Gods and Monsters and Ian McEl- Sir Ian McKellen it portrays James Whale and he's actually talking about oh, yeah. like, he's talking about it's all uh, uh him talking to a fictional uh reporter about just his life and stuff like that and it's most uh, but it's mostly about uh, his very last movie which we'll get into here in a bit oh, and yeah. uh, how it uh how it like it ruined his career. Like oh, what okay ruined his career and it wasn't even his, dude it was it's shitty and like and when i tell you oh like again nazis come up so okay well,
1: well I, I don't want to i don't want to stop you from moving it along i'm just yeah. I, I gotta tell you i love what everything about this guy i'm learning right now so
2: oh dude he's fucking great man he's like <laughs> like honestly i feel like he was more of a rock star than like most rock stars <laughs>
1: dude, you, you start seeing that with writers writers and directors you start seeing that dude you start mm-hmm. learning about their
0: lives you'll see that They're fucking crazy. Dude, fucking James Whale was punk rock before punk rock was punk rock. (laughs) Exactly. And so after
2: he uh, left Paramount, he would actually go on to meet his longtime partner, David Lewis. David Lewis was another producer in the movie industry and stuff, and they were both very open about their sexuality and relationship. And they ended up staying together for 23 years. Um, They would go to parties together and stuff like that. And, like, when other patrons have been asked about their sexuality and stuff like that, everyone literally was just like, yeah, they're they're a couple, man. <laughs> like, no one cared. Because they're like, yeah, that's fucking James Whale and his boyfriend, David Lewis. Like, it was cool. Like, it was just really cool And their group. That's
0: cutting edge. Mm hmm. Like if you want to go talk to James well about it, you can't. Just keep in mind. He told Paramount to fuck off. So I don't think At <laughs> <Yeah. it, So, laughs> he's going to have a lot of patience.
2: <laughs> and so at this time, like uh, after leaving Paramount, meeting David Lewis and whatnot, he was then hired by indie filmmaker and aviation pioneer fucking motherfucking Howard Hughes. To turn <laughs> his- <laughs> yeah, he worked with Howard Hughes to turn his silent 1930 film Hell's Angels into a talkie. So he was the one who actually brought Howard Hughes into the talking world of movies. Uh, once finished with directing the dialogue sequences for the movie, James Whale moved to Chicago and directed another production, of another production of Journey's End, which, you know, makes bank. So he's just killing it there. And so at this point... British producers Michael Balkan and Thomas Welsh bought the film rights to Journey's End and they both agreed that James Whale is the only man to direct the film because he's the only person to have successfully directed the play in both London and on Broadway. So like, let's just get him into the movies now and just have him actually direct his first movie, just like instead of dialogue. Because James Whale knows knows his worth, and he's like, "You're gonna give me the whole fucking thing." And so, the production company teamed with Tiffany Stall Productions to have it shot in New York. Tiffany Stall Productions only ran for a hot minute, but it was kind of cool working with an independent fucking production company and indie filmmakers. So, like, James Whale is like the first indie dude, I feel like, like big indie guy. Colin Clive would once again pop his head up and reprise his stage role as Stanhope for the big screen and future Universal monster film star David Manners as Rayleigh. This was his second big screen performance after meeting James Whale at a party. James Whale was like, "You only did one movie, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You're gonna be in my next one." And so, uh, so this your guy, soul is mine, basically. <laughs> so, uh, because of like just knowing James Whale and then getting this big part, uh, he or this part, he would go on to play John Harker in Todd Browning's 1931 classic Dracula. Starring Bella Lugosi and pl- ended up playing Frank Welp in 1932's *The Mummy*. So, like, all these like monster movie people are like in this little petri dish, and they don't even know it yet. Like, they're not e- they don't even know they're about to create horror greatness. <laughs> and, like, this is all yeah, they're like beginnings, man. It's just really fucking cool. Like, how they all knew each other, and they did know that they're about to make horror horror history. And so the movie version of Journey's End would be released in Great Britain on April 14th and in the US on the 15th. And then obviously it goes on to be a critical and commercial hit. <laughs> and so again, just fucking hit after hit after hit. The Fuck her- after hit after hit. And he hasn't even touched horror yet. Like this dude is just like killing it. And so in 1931, James Whale signed a five-year contract with Universal Studios. And so this is when, like, he finally gets on the map of everything with his movies. This is where, like, all of his great goodness, probably all of it, even though he, like, did theater while a POW, where all of his, like, creative goodness that he had to hold down just, like, will finally pop. And so his first project was 1931's Waterloo Bridge. It was another Broadway play that was adapted to be a movie about a chorus girl who became a prostitute in London during World War I. And again, it was another critical commercial success. You know what I find really funny is like pe- people bitch about Hollywood now about not having any good ideas. And yet fucking back in the 20s and 30s, they were adapting plays and books like. Yeah ideas you know <laughs> I think that's just funny like I'm sure back then they were probably like I'm just imagining like people twirling, like, twirling their monocles and shit like Hollywood doesn't have any good ideas
0: I saw this play last week this is brilliant very brilliant i i I love that we're doing this we're making loads of money no way could this blow back on us later and then just like fast forward to like all the transformers movies yeah no
1: yo i think it it hinders it hinders the creativity when there's so many effects like back then they, they only had so much stuff so
2: they had to like really get creative so and James Whale helps pave the ground with that with his monster movies. After making another hit, Universal Chief Carl, uh, we're going to just call him Carl Jr. oh, um, There we go. Lamel let Whale pick his next project out of all of the properties that Universal owns. He said, here's our directory of everything we own. Pick whatever you want, Mr. Whale. Like you've obviously proven you can make money. You've obviously proven how great you are. And James Whale's like ego is just growing bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's just like fucking yeah.
0: Say that he has a a whale size of an ego. (laughs) I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) you got a good death metal growl there. (laughs) Uh, Thank 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 you.
2: And so at this point, Whale decided to pick Frankenstein. And he said for two reasons. One, nothing else in the entire Universal catalog interest him, interested him. And two, it wasn't another goddamn dang war movie. He's fucking done with war. Because all he's done is done war, war plays and war movies. So... While 1818's Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein was in public domain, Universal owned the filming rights to Peggy Webling's stage adaptation of Frankenstein. Loopholes, so Mary Shelley can't get paid. <laughs> Sadly. So James Whale would cast longtime friend Colin Clive as Dr. Henry Frankenstein and Mae Clark, who also starred in Waterloo, so that's how she knows James Whale, and he's another fairly unknown actress, um, as F- Frankenstein's fiance. And then, sticking to his theme of casting these unknown actors, Whale would go on to cast, you know, li- little known actor of the time, fucking Boris Karloff, as the monster. Ooh. He. This is where he finally got his big break. Was James Whale's like, "You look like a tall, scary bastard. You're gonna be my monster."
0: <laughs> and your name is Boris. It's perfect. <laughs>
2: Boris. Yo yo, yo, yo. Have you
1: heard? I'm, sorry, just cut in. Have you heard the song? There, there's, there's a Messer Chups. Do you guys listen to Messer Chups? I'm not, but now oh, okay. Not. It, i Okay. It, it, it's ridiculous. They have a song. I forget what it's called, but if you listen to Messer Chops on, uh, like, just in their discography, they have one song where randomly they just say, go Boris Karlov. And it's so, so perfect because it's like an instrumental surf band. So, like, it just randomly comes out. And I, I'm just like, that's so awesome. So just shouts <laughs> out to them and shouts out to Boris. Hell
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so before his uh, before this, he only uh, Boris Karlov was only starring in like small supporting roles and everything. So this was his big break, and James Will was like, "Yeah." So the movie was released on 9- November twenty first, nineteen thirty one, and it was a hint- instant hit and broke box office records, and it gained twelve million dollars during its first release, twelve million in nineteen thirties money, you yeah. know. Like, a,
0: so that's a, nice. a horror
2: movie, a horror movie. So don't, He's the GOAT. Yeah, like, don't fucking tell me horror isn't influential and important in filming.
0: Like, a horror movie did this. Also, could you imagine just, like, your friend is making a movie, and it's just like, hey, I'm making this, You know, just pretend for a moment that, like, you've never heard of a sci-fi film, you've never heard of Evil scientists or anything like that, and your friend just comes up to you and be like, so we're making this movie about where a guy comes back to life, being made out of pieces of other dead people but he needs a mad scientist to do it do you want to be that mad scientist sure what's a mad scientist well it's like you're happy but you're, creating you're the opposite of that. you're, <laughs> you're going to create a zombie you're creating a crime against <laughs> god and nature is basically what you're doing cool <laughs> uh sure how long do you think it'll take and uh, you know we'll, we'll see look i'm james whale i tell paramount to fuck off you you, you i will worry about how long you're going to be on this project
2: <laughs> like come on colin Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the audiences loved the Gothic atmosphere. It ha- uh, like a little bit about the movie. The Gothic atmosphere was amazing. It had a terrifying yet sympathetic villain quote-unquote because i don't i wouldn't consider the monster a villain you know it's that's highly debatable and everything it's also one of those movies that first like did the whole like is the true monster man or the monster itself you know that type of thing the movie also has a scene which ends up getting heavily censored so i really want to see the original cut of it of a, of the little girl drowning which was f- super unheard of at the time when like fr- the monster accidentally drowns the little girl or i think she drowns and he's trying to save her or something but i, I like i remember the scene but they heavily censored it to where you don't see the little girl dying <laughs> so i'm like mm-hmm. jesus james
1: <laughs> well there's so, some
2: sort of rule you can only, you can't show certain stuff in film right so. yeah
0: there's certain things you aren't allowed to show uh, especially back then it was like things like that were so much more censored it was uh even something like frankenstein coming out during that time was so obscene and terrifying and shocking to an audience back then that we'll never know what that's like and the only closest comparisons we get is like you know, the first time you ever see parental Activity or, like, The Conjuring, and even then, that's, like, a really loose comparison.
2: I would say more like when torture porn hit the scene. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying the shock, the shock value of it. It would be like when Saw and Hostel hit the scene, everyone's like, oh, my God! Like, I feel like that that was probably the reaction. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, totally, totally. <laughs> Like, I like how you're trying to, like, use these words like torture porn, man. Like, fuck it, just don't beat around the bush. It's, it's always
0: been torture porn. We've always known.
2: It's um, yeah, it's so <laughs> <yeah. laughs> movie away from torture porn. So I want to talk a little bit about his next. So this is this movie. Uh, his next movie would actually be his first cult classic. And it's because of this. Real, It has a really cool story around it. So, his 1932 movie The Old Dark House, it actually was fairly under the went under the radar because the movie would actually be pulled from distribution after Universal lost the film rights to the original novel. So they're like, yeah, fucking nobody can see it now and obviously they weren't distributing like take home tape you know video cassettes or dvds at this point and so the movie would actually be deemed be deemed lost until whale james whale's colleague curtis harrington um was able to recover most of the original film and ended up getting it restored and after being restored whale's film- filmography was finally reevaluated because this movie had to go had to be put back in because no one knew about it and so the movie was considered a cult classic and was placed on at at number 71 on Time Out which is a London magazine poll of best horror movies. So like even after death he's like busting out classics. Holy <laughs> like, shit man. <laughs> like they ended up finding it after he died and everything. They're like, "Yeah, this is a great movie." That one went under the radar and so his net but it, and so he wouldn't have a new hit until 1933's fucking The Invisible Man. This guy brought us the invisible man too so the script was even approved so this script was approved by hg wells before it started filming and i just thought that was a cool little little thing to throw in there (laughs) oh that's epic Mm mm-hmm And so this movie obviously crushed it at the box office and broke even more records. And so The Invisible Man is going to credit it. So the the things that was loved about it is that it blended horror and humor. And it was praised for its groundbreaking visual effects. Because whenever they had the Invisible Man, when he was invisible, you know, they would have to do the floating objects and stuff like that. But any they would show him, like, as an actual person, he'd be all bandaged up. So, like, James Whale was very intuitive about his filming and how to get these effects going. And the New York Times placed it in the top 10 best films of 1933. The Invisible Man was even a massive global hit that France, who normally restricts the amount of showings of undubbed American films, fucking just let it show wherever, everywhere. Like, they let any theater who wanted to show it, show it, because it had such great artistic merit. Like, this dude's just a global phenomenon while he's in theater, like, while he's making movies. It's fucking great. (laughs) And so, he is, man. And so, in 1934, he would start, this is where James, where James Wales, like, controversies start so like where he starts the pca and like the all the like uh censorship boards and stuff like that they're start they're starting to come down on james whale now they're like you can't get away with everything anymore motherfucker and so it, and it starts with his uh, movie 1934's one more river um it was another novel adaptation and it was and it's about a woman trying to escape her abusive marriage and so it was extremely hard for universal to get the approval because of uh, the sexual sadism from the, uh, the husband's abusive behavior. So basically they're saying, drowning kids is okay to show in movies, but nothing that has to do with sex.
0: <laughs> and so just, begins was... a tremendous time in, in the U.S. where we demonize naked body more than we do heads exploding.
2: Yep, and where we demonize the naked body more than dying children. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. But marley. yeah, I just I just thought that was like a weird thing that they were fine with showing a little girl being drowned, but you can't show any
0: type of sex. You can you know, show a kid being teared apart by sharks in the ocean, but God help you if you let one nip slip. Geez,
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's super weird, man. Know, you know, sex is like natural. It's like such a human thing, like for,
2: you know, right
1: centuries and centuries you
2: know like you, to to make a child you have to have sex i, I don't know I, it's just weird it's stupid yeah. But, yeah and so um james whale another thing about him is he he does not like to do sequels like he really doesn't he he's one of those directors that just wants to do one done movies like and stuff like that. that's good but universal was like but we really need <laughs> you to make a sequel to frankenstein like we really need <laughs> to do this he's just like but and they're like come on do this for you got to pick all your other movies do this one for us please and he did and it and the and the, the irony about like him just like folding into doing this this 1935's Bride of frankenstein is considered his magnum opus his necronomicon of horror if you will like it's considered his greatest film ever made and he didn't even want to fucking do it <laughs> Which I thought is funny, and it made it all the better. Like, so first off, he didn't want to make the movie because he really didn't want to be known as a horror director, even though he literally brought the world three of the greatest horror movies ever made, and brought to life three of horror's most iconic monsters in The Monster of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and Fucking The Bride of Frankenstein. Like he And he ha- always has this German gothic shooting style to all of his films. Like just – he loves it and it just p- fits perfectly to the horror genre. And I'm just like, all right, fine. Don't do the thing you're good at but whatever. <laughs> and so that was kind of his thing. He didn't want to get pigeonholed into horror but they're like, please. And he's just like, fine, but I got to so do my good. own thing. right? Yeah. And they're like, I, he's just like, I gotta do my own thing, right? And they're like, yes, obviously, just, but just do the movie. And so he did the movie, and obviously he got Boris Karloff to come back and play the monster, and he got Colin Clive to replies, reprise his role as Dr. Frankenstein. And the movie is all about the monster forcing Dr. Frankenstein to create him a mate, because he wants, he wants a mate. and so uh james Whale's monster movies were so successful and um what like critics and reviewers and stuff uh, have to comment about it is like what they believe his monster movie what made his monster movies so successful and really set them apart at the time and especially in the genre is because he gave his monsters personality it's actually kind of widely believed that it stems from him being gay and being able to relate to being an outsider to society because while he had like friends who are accepting of him. It's still being an openly gay man in the 1930s. Like got ostracized obviously. But like and so they think that's what how he was able to do it. And so not wanting to be stuck as a horror director, he was able to convince Universal to let him work on a different movie called Remember Last Night, a comedy mystery about a group of friends who were so drunk they don't remember the night before one of them was murdered. And the reason why this one is important is because they were trying to get him to do the sequel to Dracula, and he just he didn't want to be pigeonholed. And so uh, he did Remember Last Night, and then he would go on to work on a movie he's been wanting to work on for fucking ever, and it's a romantic musical called Showboat. Th- so it's like, he kind of was a reverse Miley Cyrus. You know how Miley Cyrus was, like, cute and stuff like that as a Disney star and whatnot, and then she just yeah. went off the fucking wall bonkers to break <laughs> that, like, to break the mold and stuff like that, like all the child stars do? He wanted yeah. to go different. He went from all this gothic horror scary shit to, oh. Aw. <laughs> and so... Funny enough, he was actually believed to be the wrong director at this time, even though he did hit after hit after hit. He still had critics. that are like, you can't do this. And he was like, fucking watch me. And so his 1936 rendition of this movie would go on to be considered the definitive version of the musical. So like, <laughs> this dude is just like, fuck you guys. Watch me. Yeah, it was just, I just think that was funny because they're like, you can't do romance. And he's just like, I'm going to make the greatest version ever. And it's still considered the best version of the musical. Um, But, and so after Showboat, his career would be killed because of literal Nazis and a fucking corporate takeover. So Universal Studios would go bankrupt, and the Lamell family lost the studio to Jay Cheever Coden. Um, of the standard capital corporation 1930 sends the road back this is the film that kills his career so it was a it's a 1930 uh it's a sequel to 1930s all quite on the western front probably this is why he didn't want to do sequels <laughs> so combining a strong anti and so the movie combined a strong anti-war message with pressure uh, like just prominent warnings about the rising da- dangers of the dictatorship of Nazi Germany. So basically, this movie is saying, Hitler's a bad fucking dude. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> like, that's kind of like what it's about.
0: <laughs> just, it now, just, just letting you all know now. You know, not a great uh, guy.
2: Yeah, Hitler's <laughs> a bad dude and Nazis suck. And so they kind of. They kind of tried to keep it like a secret production, but when it started begin, uh, when it began production, uh, the LA consult for fucking, it's so weird to say, the NA consult for Nazi Germany, he had to have it. Yeah, um, George Gates... God, living that time, it's so weird. I can't get over that. Sorry, <laughs> George Uh <laughs> Gitzling protested the movie, claiming it to misrepresent. Nazi Germany. <laughs> he said it's not portraying us right. And this dude harassed James Whale about it. He harassed cast members. He fucking just harassed fucking everyone about their participation. And he would—he was just like, if you do this movie, then you will never film in Germany ever. And everyone's just like, well, Germany doesn't bring in any money. So <laughs> fuck Bullshit. off. Yeah, like there was no real market. There was no movie market in Germany at this time because you know, they're fucking Nazis. And so at this point, and so so the state department finally after being pressured by the Hollywood Anti-Nazi League and Screen Actors Guild stepped in and told like told this dude to, and the German government to back the fuck off of this movie and just let it happen cuz we're Amer- it's America. <laughs> and so you think, oh, great, right? James Whale was like, "Thank, thank God, finally, happy." He made the movie. He released the original cut, original cut to private screenings and everything, and it got great reviews. It like it, it was everyone was like, "All right, cool, probably another hit by James Whale," but. The fucking Heads of Universal folded to Nazi Germany Demands and edited the film before it got its general release. So they literally pulled a Suicide Squad and reshot and re-edited the entire movie before it got released. And it did fucking terrible. And the shittiest part about it is it didn't even show in Germany. They banned the movie anyways. Like What? Wow. Yeah. they banned- after all that... After all of that, they didn't even show the movie, anyways. They're like, "Oh, we've got what we want, and we don't want the movie now, anyways. We ruined his career, because it what? did. Jeez. Yep. This and this tr-
1: is this the film that ruined this guy's career? This this yep, one?
2: Yep. A Road Back destroyed his film career because after James, because James Whale found out and he was fucking livid, and so oh, then Universal oh, was, yeah, just, yeah, and so then Universal was like, "Well, how about we just end our contract then? And then James Whale was like, "No. No, you can shove it. You're going to just keep paying me anyways because, like, you're just going to pay me for my money and going to pay me out for the rest of my contract. And so they are ch- they like, fine, whatever. Here's just a sh- bunch of shitty movies. Like, he did a bunch of B movies until 1939 where he got his last big middle finger to Universal and directed the 1939 hit The Man in the Iron Mask. And so after that movie, he would go on to retire in 1941. And never, and like he did, and so after his uh, retirement from the uh, film industry, he kind of dabbled and he went back to theater directing and he did a couple movies here and there, like just small budget movies. But another thing that happened is that his partner, David Lewis, he saw like the anguish that James was in. He just got like he his he was at the top of his fucking league in the film industry, at the tip of the mountain, and literal Nazis and a corporate take takeover just ruined it within a year. And so his his buddy was just like his partner, not his buddy, his partner <laughs> was just like, hey man, let like. Hey, lover, come here. (laughs) Let's let's fix this. And so to help with his anxiety and restlessness and all this depression that he had from all this, he helped him re-found his love in, in painting and in art. And so Whale went on and he just did a lot of painting and stuff like that at this time and just like finally chilled out a little bit. And so he also would go on to direct a bunch of plays. And then in 1942, he would actually direct a training film for the U.S. Army after World War II broke out. So I really feel like he's like, wait, we're fighting Nazis? Hey! Hey, Army! <laughs> like, let, me, let me fuck him up for you. Like, he's like, let me help you. Because like, they ruined his career. So I feel like this was his way of like giving another little finger to the Nazis. So I think that's pretty cool. Fucking rebel. Fucking <laughs> yeah. 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 sticking so, it to him. Yeah, and so and then in the early 1950s he uh did a small trip to europe he did some directing around plays and did a tour of the country and stuff like that and so at this point james whale is 62 and he met a 25 year old man named pierre fogel and he was just head over heels with this young man and he ended up telling his longtime lover david lewis that he was bringing home a new lover and that he was hoping they could all work it out but david lewis is a stand-up citizen who was like, "Fuck that! Like, I'm a one-man man, man." <laughs> like, and so they ended up ending their relationship. He would move out, but they would stay close friends and everything. Like David Lewis, like knew like James Whale needed someone other than a fuck buddy. So, um, <laughs> and so at this time, James Whale would also go on to install a pool in his backyard, but he wouldn't swim in it. So this this is where the movie uh, Gods and Monsters kind of takes place is this time period, because so he would go on to be in his later years. He would be like the male version of uh, Hugh Hefner because he would just constantly have all male pool parties. (laughs) And so that was just his whole thing. And then in uh, 1956, James Whale would end up suffering from two strokes, which caused him to suffer from chronic depression, mood swings, and he was in constant pain. And so oh, at this, yeah. And then at this point, his mental fortitude was just dying. And so on May 29th, 1957, he would go on to end his own life, and he drowned himself in his pool at the age of 67. Oh man. Yeah. Oh. And so what's also kind of like. Which uh, I mean, it's not terrible. So at this t- point in time, his death was ruled an accidental death. Like they thought he accidentally fell in the pool. but it would, and it was like that for decades. But after uh, right before his own death, David Lewis would actually uh, reveal in a suicide note that James Whale wrote to him and talked about how he just he couldn't handle the, the pain anymore from his strokes. And he couldn't handle the pain and his mind going away and his creativity and him losing himself. So James Whale would go on to take – he said, I I wanted to take my own life because it was my – it's my call and I'm still who I am. So like James Whale wanted to end things on his own terms just like he did in everything in his own life. (laughs) So.
1: Very much like Hunter S. Thompson, he did the same thing. You know, you get to a certain age where if you're – you know, your hips are in so much pain and like – you know, uh, you know uh, it, one of his quotes was like, football season's over, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's really sad. But here's the thing, man, is I wish that I could have jumped in that pool and saved that dude. You know, it's it's you no know, matter what age you are, you know, I think you still have, if you have family and you have, you got to have friends. So uh, definitely uh, keep on trucking, you know, it's very sad.
2: Yeah, so uh, very sad, but. And and that was, that's his story that was a story of James Whale guys like it's amazing fucking awesome wow. story sad ending to his story but just like everything else in his life he wanted to go out on his own terms yeah and so like fucking crazy man like i I just think it's funny like he never wanted to be known for horror but he his most influential and his most fame came from horror movies and he if it wasn't for James Whale we'd never have Franken, frankenstein brad man, of frankenstein totally. the invisible man i mean fucking possibly even some of the other universal monsters probably never would have came about you know what i mean oh, we the absolutely. world would have never had boris karloff <laughs> like yo that you guy do? is so yeah. rad thank
1: you for uh th- thank you for doing a, a spotlight on him you know i yeah. i can't wait to go out for a beer and tell all my friends about how cool that guy is you know
2: for sure yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope all you listeners enjoyed the our quick little bio of James Whale.
0: Absolutely. I think I think the biggest takeaway from this is that it, it's very sad how his, his life had ended, but everything that he did prior up to that, everything that he stood for, how he advocated for himself – even during times that are even far more prejudiced and ignorant than the times that we currently live in. I mean, you know, the world was against this dude from the very beginning. You know, he he, he invested in his own likes, he invested in his own passions, and he put in the hard work. And, you know, yeah. It, Back then, it was easy to come out with a movie in that regard that nobody has seen before. But even to get it made, to get you know the resources for it, and to do it his way without you know Hollywood executives pushing back on him, and then fucking Nazis pushing back on him, I mean the dude lived a mm-hmm. lived a full life. He lived a life that no one is going to be able to know what that feels like you know i mean even to a similar degree like it's i think the biggest takeaway is that no matter what happens to ghouls gals creeps mutants no matter what hand you are dealt in this life you have the power you have the ability to curve it and change it to go to the direction you want it to go to yes it's hard yes it's heartbreaking yes it's got its most awful moments but if you put in the work if you keep pushing forward you're going to get to a place that you're going to feel where you feel accomplished and you see the things that you want to done done. And, Man, you, just thinking about it again. Like, if he didn't do Frankenstein, which is probably one that obviously is the most popular, you know, horror icon at this point. Um, even touching on themes of man being the real monster. You know, mm-hmm. who knows where horror yeah. would be? You know, where yeah, would we totally. be with the theme of it all? Maybe, you know, if it wasn't for James Well, for all we know, we could be the romantic comedy podcast. You know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, that's well, don't forget terror. John Carpenter. Come on, you know, you gotta, yeah, there's a yeah, lot of good, true, you guys would have found true. some horror, horror, I'm sure you guys would have stumbled on something, but this guy's awesome, man, and he's a total individual, and he's he's punk rock, and I think it's great oh. to have him as a spotlight on your podcast, because, like, he's totally pop, punk rock, like, I mean, to be an openly gay man, I mean, shout out to, uh, this is the Pride Month, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's totally punk rock to be who you are, you know, and don't let people try and tell you who you are, you know, and be who you yeah. are. And and this guy, he was who he was till, he, like you say, he, it was his decision. He wanted to say, you know, the, the hell with it. And you know what? It's very controversial. I mean, like I always say, I would love to be the person who maybe saved that guy. But it's like, you know, people, it's your own body, man. You know, whatever you want to do. I mean, but it's, you know, I do encourage people to stay alive. There's, it does get better. Mm-hmm. So, so, but I mean, that guy, I mean, he's a true artist and it's like, there's a lot of great artists. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure Hemingway did the same thing, did himself in, right? There's a lot of the, Thanks and, and di- directors are, are just, you know. So anyways, yeah. I
0: just, much respect <laughs> to Scott, Much respect Absolutely. to him. Absolutely. With that being said, listeners, we're going to go ahead and wrap up at this point. Yeah. Um, again, please check out Rain City Ghouls, the book and the band as well. Give them some likes and follows. Support them. Buy your own copies. And if you want to keep up everything with Punk Rock Horror Podcast, you know where to follow us on Facebook. You can search us up there, Punk Rock Horror, Horror Podcast, or on our Twitter at official prhp. Or you can also look at us on Instagram at Punk Rock Horror Podcast hashtag prhp podcast. You could also follow me on Instagram at the Undead Matt and Cody on Twitter at, at Cody. And if you want to check out any merch that we got available please go over to SlashingCast.net You can find our merch link there or just click down in the episode notes below and go to that merch link Listeners, thank you again for hanging out with us, for letting us talk about horror with you This was a chock full episode of content We hope you've enjoyed it And again, happy Pride Month to all of you You are beautiful We love all of you and we will talk about horror with you next time
2: Bye.
0: Bye.